0: Support for this podcast and the following message come from Ghost Fit Apparel. Founded by St. Thomas running back Josh Parks, Ghost Fit provides sleek and comfortable athletic clothing designed to help people both look and feel good in the gym, at home, or on the go. Browse through a variety of men's t-shirts, hoodies, and sweatpants. And get 20% off your entire purchase for a limited time now at GhostFit.com.
1: Welcome to the show. It's Keep the Ball Rolling presented by Tommy Media. Today we talk Tommy Johnny and the big news announced last week. Then we sit down with men's basketball coach John Tower and women's basketball coach Ruth Sin. And we wrap the show with a farewell.
0: Hey everyone, and thank you for joining us on Keep the Ball Rolling, the only show that quite honestly doesn't quite know yet how it, how it will cope without its best host. I'm Noah Brown with Brady Haldmeyer and Althea Larson. And before we get started, we're going to talk about this more in segment three, but this is uh, Brady Haldmeyer, founding uh, host and member of Keep the Ball Rolling, his last show. Uh, he's going to land down under, uh, head down to Australia for yep. next semester. So uh, Brady, uh, we're, I'll get into the sappy stuff later, but it's been an honor.
1: Yeah, it's been fun. It's uh, we, we built a podcast. Um, <clears throat> Gamel and I started in the back closet, and now we're in the front closet of Tommy Media. <laughs> so we've we've moved our way up in the land of closets. A
0: front closet, mind you, with soundproofing, yeah. some really nice microphones. Uh, this is a, a large, in, in part, due to you uh, and, and Uh I'm just here. Uh, Althea and I are just kind of uh, reaping the benefits of all of your guys' hard work. Um,
1: no, it's, it, it, that's, it's, it's totally been a team effort. We've been, uh, we've been putting together some weekly shows, and we've done a pretty good job. 13 episodes this season. We had over 1,000 listeners. Um, yeah, it was a good cool. run. Uh, but we've got one more
0: show to do, so we'll get uh, get to the goodbyes uh, in segment three. We've got some Tommy Hoops to talk, and I think we're running out of things to say here, Brady. Both men's and women's basketball teams are doing phenomenal. Mm. I mean, just two of the best teams in the mic, two of the best teams in the country I don't even know where to begin. They're, both of them are just fantastic.
1: Let's start with the women. They're ranked third in the country. Hannah Spaulding was featured this week um, in a story on WCCO. She is leading the country. It, this is every single level, Division One, Division Two, Division Three, men and women. She is leading the country in, in field goal percentage. She's shooting 83% from the field. Uh, they played Carlton on Saturday, and she was, I think, uh, she didn't miss a shot. She was 4-4 four four from the free throw line and 8-8 eight eight from the field. Uh, only adding to her already ridiculously high field goal percentage. They're rolling. They're 7-0. They've won 57 consecutive um, conference games. They play Concordia-Moorhead uh, tomorrow night, Wednesday night. And we've had many debates both on and off air about
0: how big of a factor the MIAC plays into the success of St. Thomas athletic teams. Right. I think it mostly comes up in football where for the past 10 years or so, St. Thomas has done really well in conference, but then come playoff time, they don't do nearly as well. And I think the same could be said for basketball to a, a smaller extent. But regardless of the the teams, the quality of teams that you're playing, the, the Mike's a pretty good division for basketball. Hannah Spaulding is an absolute monster. I think mm-hmm. there there is no way about it. I mean, just probably the most talented basketball player in the state of Minnesota right now, maybe you know, one of the most talented in the country. She could probably have a starting
1: spot on the Wolves if she wanted it. <laughs> yeah, she, she's ridiculous. Uh, and, and this is probably the best Ruthson team I've seen play. Um, they destroyed they destroyed Carlton. I think it was like uh, 90-something to 30 um, on Saturday. 92 to 30 is the final score from Saturday. I mean, this is a really efficient team. They, they try to double-team. Other opponents will try to double-team, even triple-team Hannah Spaulding. Um, and they just move the ball really well, knock down open shots, and it just—they're really, really hard to stop. Yeah.
0: So Spalding going eighty-two and a half percent from the floor. Uh, the Tommies are now uh, some of the top three, are some of the top teams in uh, Division Three for both field goal shooting, uh, just above fifty-one percent, and three-point shooting right at forty-three percent. Spalding has been a, a huge part of that in her career, even when she was a backup to Caitlin Langer. I mean, she was. Uh, Whenever Langer would come out, however, not often that was. Uh, she, what came in, and, uh, was, a, was a good reserve player off the bench. But now, particularly in the last two years starting, has been phenomenal. She is 35 points away from 1,000 career points. Wow. Uh, 463 rebounds and 132 assists as well in her career. Absolutely phenomenal. And is, as good as this women's team is, I think Spalding is the linchpin. She is the key to this offense. And... As we've seen with with other Ruthson-led teams, it doesn't matter who you have, really. They're going to be good, Mm -hmm. but I don't think the Tommies would be nearly this good without Spalding.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. Let's hop over to the other side of things and talk a little men's hoops. They've won six in a row um, after dropping their opener, so they're 6-1 and here sitting at the seven-game mark. Um, uh, Some nice wins early on. Uh, They took care of Bethel at home a couple nights ago, or about a week ago. Um, They were down double digits in the second half. I didn't make it to that game. Uh, I think we won 68, 65 down to, uh, 12 in the second half end up coming back to get a win and then they play a pretty solid Carl team at least Carlton team on Saturday. I mean at least they were last year. Um, they looked like a little down this year but again taking care of them we scored 99 points. I mean it was 99 to 50 a pretty solid win. Um, Anders Nelson played pretty well he had 13 points. A nice performance off the bench from Bert Hedstrom. He had 10. Tommy Anderson had 14. I mean, this is a deep team. they got it scoring from a lot of guys right now. Anders Nelson's kind of leading the way. But, I mean, any given night, Connor Bear can have 20. Burt can, can light it up a little bit. Ryan Lindbergh's been shooting the ball pretty well. Uh, this is a deep team that's got a lot of offense.
0: And it's so hard to uh, build a team around one feature player, particularly at the collegiate level. I mean, once you get pros, I mean, you got guys – uh, insanely talented like LeBron James or you know, uh, Kevin Durant or whoever it might be where they can be on your team for 10, 12, 15 years if you're good enough. Uh, right. But with, with college, you've got so much turnover that you can't build your entire offense, your entire team around one person. And I think that's what makes both the women's and now this men's team so impressive is their their ability to stay relevant even with all the turnover that they have, they're finding, you know, moving to the men now. Move, finding guys like Anders Nelson, uh, young guys who can come in, contribute right away. He's at, you know a starting spot, averaging what right around twenty points a game yeah, or something I think like, like that. 18 it's, and a half or something. It's ridiculous, yeah. but it, it just once again is a testament to both of these programs as a whole that they're always built with good players. But every once in a while, they just find a great player, someone like Anders Nelson. And when you find that, you're six and one and uh, rolling in the division.
1: Yeah, they're sitting at a good mark just outside the top 25 right now. I expect when the next uh, set of rankings come out, I think it was the last one was December 2nd. So next couple of days we should get a new rankings. I expect uh, St. Thomas to be pretty close uh, to hopping in that top 25 um, the, on the men's side. The women are ranked, obviously, third in the country. Um, for this week, we got uh, Concordia-Moorhead. Both teams are playing them on Wednesday um, on the road. and Then they take on Stevens Point, a pretty solid Stevens Point team. I mean, all the Wisconsin schools are pretty good. Um, so it'll be a good test this week, see if they can keep it rolling for both sides and we'll sit down and talk to Coach Taranson and see what they got for us.
0: Yeah. Uh you know, moving into the, the end of the semester here, uh it, you know, both teams are playing really well. And going up against teams like like Concordia, Moorhead, Stevens Points, uh obviously when, you know, particularly for the women when you're number three in the nation, there aren't a lot of teams that will really scare you. Mm-hmm. Um, but even for the men too, you know, they're rolling. I think ending out you know the, we got these last two games before taking the the winter break into January. if you win both of these games moving in women move to nine and0 men to eight and one that's a huge momentum uh boost for them going into that break
1: Oh yeah, a long break they still play through it though pretty solid um the Tommy's got let's see one two three four five six I mean we got eight eight nine ten games in in January so it's still a full schedule. Um, oh, I was just talking about the uh, you know going from December fifteenth to January second. Yeah, 2nd. okay. Uh, the game you look at though, you're going to highlight on the schedule is obviously St. John's for the men's side. I mean, this is uh, the top pick in the Miac at least uh, before the season to win this conference. They got they got some pretty solid players. They've been uh, they've been rolling in the conference. So that's the game you kind of highlight on the schedule if you're the Tommies. If you can get to that point without losing, I think that game will kind of be the. Uh, setting the bar for who's going to win this conference. Um, And the Johnnies are are pretty solid. they got a good point guard. I think his name, ah, he's going to be a senior this year. I forget his name, but a pretty solid point guard. It would be a really good test to see him against Anders Nelson, um, a senior versus a freshman. They're pretty similar skill levels, and they play pretty similar uh, style of play, actually can shoot the ball, can pass the ball, defend pretty well. So that'll be a good matchup to watch uh, in the end of January.
0: I think it will be because you got it on January 21st, but then also it's the second-to-last game of the season on February 13th. Uh, So it'll be interesting to see, one, if the Tommies can win in mid-January and then where both teams are in the penultimate game of the season. That could ultimately decide the conference, and that would be one heck of a game to watch.
1: Oh, yeah, and then just leading into the the conference tournament too, um, a great game to set up what will sure be. A good tournament hopefully we can get in that Hmm. so we have uh head coaches or not head coaches sorry coaches uh
0: mod would yell at me uh, yeah yeah. (laughs) not ap style uh coaches john tower and ruth sin of the men's and women's basketball team here's that interview
1: we now welcome on the head men's basketball coach john tower and the head women's basketball coach ruth sin guys thank you for coming in sure thanks for having us uh coach sin we should start with this. Your 300th win as the head basketball coach here. Uh, what, what's your reaction to that?
2: Just shows uh, all the wonderful assistant coaches I've had to work with, and tremendous young women. You know, it, it's more of a reflection of the type of people and the culture that we've established here at Saint Thomas.
1: I saw you uh, had 290 wins at Apple Valley. Is that correct? And now. Correct the 300th win at St. Thomas. Uh, is there one win that sticks out in your mind or a couple couple games that were like, yeah, that was that was one of my favorites?
2: No, it's really just the people. It's the people that you remember through the years and and just their growth and their development and the way you shared it with them and they shared it with you. And so it's, it's really more the people than it is the games. Even though as coaches, you know, we remember every single minute of every single game. I don't remember mm-hmm. that as a player, yeah. but I certainly remember it as a game. But it, it, it's more so the just being able to share it with these tremendous people.
0: Yeah, so these tremendous people this season uh, have helped you get off to a 7-0 and uh, start and now 57 consecutive uh, conference wins. How do you just keep players consistently uh, season in and season out, uh, just kind of loose on game and being able to have a 57 win or conference win streak?
2: Well, we, we really don't focus on the outcome. We focus on the process of getting better and challenging ourselves. And, you know, we're in a unique situation and the same thing with the men in that, you know, there's a lot of records here in the St. Thomas women's basketball program and both programs. And, and so it, it, it's about this group of individuals collectively putting their mark on the on the program and their identity and their personality and how they can, you know, really put their mark and then, and so we've really just focused on us doing our best and constantly striving to improve and get better and, and take that next step.
1: Coach Tower, Speaking of streaks, you guys have started one of your own. Uh, you won six in a row after dropping the opener. What's been your biggest takeaway from the first six games of the season?
3: Yeah. Well, we're at six. Kind of pales in comparison to fifty-seven. <laughs> um, <laughs> but
1: I, I would agree with
3: Ruth. I think you know you don't think about streaks. You don't talk about them. You talk about playing better and and trusting each other and. Uh, I think we've been really pleased with how we've grown over the course of the year. We have a fair amount of young guys and um you know the first game we lost on the road in a kind of a a choppy, really physical game we lost at the buzzer and we hopefully we learned from that but i I think what's exciting is that we're trying to play a really up tempo style um predicated on depth and unselfishness and I really I think you know game over game we haven't been perfect, but I think you can see clear improvement from the first weekend to the second weekend to uh, Saturday against Carlton, and I think that's the most exciting thing as coaches is watching people develop and, and learning to trust their teammates in the process.
1: Yeah, one of those players, Ander Nelson, um, it's been fun to watch him kind of develop a little bit and get a better sense, but how high is the ceiling for a kid that's, you know, starting so hot?
3: Yeah, we haven't had many freshmen come in and do this. You know, Tyler Nikolai started all four years here and led a national title team, and Grant Schaefer started three years, and Led national title team, and I, I think you know you, you hesitate to compare people, but Anders certainly. Uh, we knew we were getting a good one when when he decided to come to St. Thomas, and I think you know the the fun part about coaching him is he wants to be great. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when you show him film, he's almost got this insatiable thirst for how can I be better, and it doesn't matter if he has 25 points, he's still you know he's beating himself up for turnovers, and I certainly uh, I speak to him about those because he has a few more of those than we'd like, mm-hmm. but he also. What he brings to the table in terms of assists and rebounds and uh, and scoring, it's been it's been a great shot in the arm for the team. But I think it's also complementing the returners who are also you know doing a really really nice job.
0: We've had a couple of your players in here uh, just talking about how this season off to a much faster start than last season. You had a lot of turnover last season, a lot of um, injuries as well that kind of prevented a, a faster start. Um, and they've said one just being healthy but then also th- this team has bonded a lot quicker than last year's did. Not that last year's team didn't bond at all, but it just, they, they're on the ground. They're a, a tight-knit group a lot quicker. As a coach, how do you kind of try to develop that kind of atmosphere where players come in and they are, you know, not just teammates, but they're their friends and they're a group of, of close-knit guys?
3: Yeah. And that's, I mean, it's a lot, you know, we always talk basketball. It's part sociology and part psychology and part chemistry and part physics. And it's, how do you put all these people together? And, and quite frankly, some of it is just the unique people on each team. That I look at the teams that have had the best chemistry that we've coached, usually they have a lot of seniors. Uh, usually those seniors are really unselfish leaders, and they're also very social. And so I think you know, some of it is that. Um, last year we did, these are not excuses. We had a lot of injuries. We had had a lot of turnover. Um, and I think we're healthier this year. We're more experienced and we also spent some time together in Costa Rica and Panama on an international trip this summer. And, you know, we've done that twice now. Roost teams have done that several times. And I do think that's, that's a really unique thing to get to do every three years, that you'd love to be able to do it every year because it does just provide this foundation at some point in the summer, 10 days of practice, and then nine or 10 days together overseas experiencing stuff they wouldn't anywhere else. Um, so I, that's something unique
1: you can't replicate. Um, but we're excited with how this team's coming together. Coach, we're talking about good players. Hannah Spaulding is, comes to the front of your mind. She leads the entire NCAA, men's and women's, it doesn't matter. Uh, she leads the NCAA in shooting percentage. I think it's like 82.5%. Uh, just incredible numbers uh, for the All-American. How do you keep her going when teams you know, try to double team or triple team? I mean, they know she's one of the best players in the country. How do you work around that?
2: Well, and the, the positive thing about that is she gives us an advantage. I mean, what coach doesn't want that, that... Every team has to decide, are they going to bring a double? So automatically, we've got teams in rotation. And Hannah's unselfish enough that it's not about her her stats. It's not about that record. It's about, you know, seeing how we can collectively be our best. And so right away, she is in a position to give us an opportunity as a team to find a better shot. With that in mind, the reason that she is leading the nation right now is she does all her work early. If you watch her, rarely does she have to put the ball on the mo- on the floor, mm-hmm. manufacture a move, and do something. That she's getting deep post up, she's doing her work. So all she needs to do, and it's not all she needs to do, but I mean, she needs to do is just make sure she positions her body and she finishes the shot. And she is a great finisher.
1: Yeah, so. she uses her body really well in the lane and. Um, when you have people like Kai Porter and Lucia Renikoff shooting such a high percentage from downtown, it, it, it helps quite a bit.
2: It, it certainly does. You want to surround a Hannah Spaulding with people like um, Hannah, uh, with, like Kaya and Lucia that, that can shoot the ball and stretch the floor out. And didn't hurt that we had Bobby Brendefried come back and go four for four from three. So we, we like that combination.
0: Yeah, a couple seasons ago, um, it was uh, Caitlin Langer, who was the, the starting center All-American, um... Kind of the, one of the driving forces of this team. So you go right from Caitlin Langer now to Hannah Spaulding. How do you get so lucky having two players like that where it just makes the transition so much easier? Uh, obviously, you've got a lot of great players, but trading an All American for an All American, that, that helps a lot.
2: Well, you know, they weren't All Americans when they came to us. I right. mean, Caitlin Langer's story is be, she was behind Maggie Wires. And Maggie Wors didn't start off as an All-American. She became an All-American, but day in, day out. And I remember Kate being in my office in sophomore year. I can't do anything right. I don't know what I'm doing here. I feel like I fail. Well, yeah, you're going against an All-American. You can accept it as a challenge and grow and improve. So when your opportunity comes, you're ready for it. And that's what happened with Kate. Her junior year, she got the nod for the start where she became you know, MIAC Player of the Year, All-West Region, first-team All-American. Hannah Spaulding went through a very similar route, a little bit faster than, than, than Caitlin, in that her sophomore year we started playing Hannah and Caitlin together because Hannah was really coming through. Hannah's junior year, she starts for us, she becomes Conference Player of the Year at first team All American. And again, you know, people see what the lights are showing, but they don't see in the dark. And in the dark, those young ladies are really working on their craft and on their skill. So when they get to a position like Hannah's getting, she does all her work early. She's fundamentally sound. She's if you ever watch her play, you can't speed her up. I, I always talk to Coach Tower about Grant Schaefer that I loved, and Anders is getting very similar with that. In that you don't speed up skilled players; they play at their pace. And Hannah's a great example of that. She's got that ball chin and checked, and and, and you just you see, she's just okay. I'm finding who's open. You don't, you can't rattle her. And again, that wasn't all the always the case, but she's grown into that.
0: Uh, Coach Tower, I've always wondered. Um, so I think Hannah Spalding and Anders Nelson are two good and very different examples of how a player can uh, take advantage of the opportunities they're given. Uh, Hannah sat behind Caitlin Langer for a couple of seasons, really learned and developed, and then came out um, and you know just took the the conference by storm, all American. Anders is a very different story where first year he's just starting um, and once again taking the conference by a storm. What are what are some of the benefits of of deciding to sit a player versus starting them right away? And how do you make that decision as a coach?
3: Well, I think I don't know that you I think you make the decision based on how ready someone is. So, you know, in in Ruth's case, I think Hannah had the opportunity within any program to be mentored by an all-American. That's probably the way we would all script it, right? Quite frankly, that if you're playing a lot of freshmen, you, you, unless you're the Fab Five at Michigan or Duke right now, you're not going to be unbelievable. But the best programs year over year, if you can be sustainably excellent, you're going to have, you know, the the Hannas and the Caitlins, Ryan Sarlar, center on the 2016 national title team, he sat behind Tommy Hanna in his freshman year and never played a meaningful minute. But he was in the weight room every day. He was getting his butt kicked every day. And so I think in terms of a culture and a program, you know, you're not counting on very many freshmen to come in and play. In fact, Tyler Nikolai is the only guy we've had start every game for four years in the last 40 years. So it just, it doesn't happen very often. Freshmen play if they're good enough. And and as coaches, you know, we make a lot of bad decisions, but I've never met a coach, good or bad, who doesn't want to put his or her best players on the court that gives the best opportunity. And so I think Anders has stepped into a unique situation where, uh, there was kind of a void at point guard. And and the same reason Grant Schaefer didn't start as a freshman. Well, it had less to do with him and more to do with Eric Tengwall and Cortez Tillman and Marcus Alapate, and he learned from those guys. So a lot of it is the dynamics within a program at that time.
1: Coach, how much does uh, guys like Connor Bear and Michael Hannon uh, play into Andre's success early on? Well, I think it's it's uh, there's a symbiotic relationship
3: where you know, Michael's in my social site class, so mm-hmm. I just had him in class 20 minutes ago, and he was commenting after class that he thinks he has more he's had more open shots this year after seven games than he had all of last year. Yeah. And, and Michael is not attributing that to his exceptional quickness or leaping <laughs> ability. I can guarantee you that. Yeah. Um, you know, Anders is a threat to get in the paint and score. at the same time, Michael's ability to shoot Ryan Lindbergh's ability to shoot several, we had 11 guys make threes on Saturday and Connor's ability to finish. I think that opens things up for Anders, and so really, offensively, uh, it's it's fun as a coach when you feel like you've got a, a multitude of options. And you know, we're we're calling fewer plays and mm-hmm. allowing them probably a little more freedom.
1: Yeah, playing a lot quicker pace this year. Um, I noticed that you haven't been pressing as much. You did a little bit on Saturday against Carlton, but is that something that's going to come later in the season, or do you think that just the, the fast style of play you can't do that on both ends? throughout the game
3: no that's a great we want to play really up tempo there are reasons you press and you don't Mm -hmm. some of that has to do with the team you're playing some of it has to do with our team's composition and so we want to play really fast Um, I don't know that our team is wired to full court press all the time so we're trying to generate early offense and play fast doing a couple other things and and so far I think we've been doing a good job you just it's easy to say we want to press and then Mm -hmm. You compromise your defense and you give up layups and you're thinking, why don't we just get our half-court defense set up? And so I think you will see us press, but it won't be, you know, Arkansas Razorbacks 40 minutes of hell. It's going to be sort of, you know, consistent pressure that hopefully leads to some turnovers.
0: And one of the biggest headlines from Tommy Sports this semester was Steve Fritz announcing his retirement. Um, You know, he's been with the university for just over 50 years now as a player, coach, and athletics director. Uh, he's done a lot uh, for athletics in general, but, you know, is, is a basketball guy. Um, so just for, for both of you, what is uh, Steve, the, the relationship you've had with him, what's that been like and uh, how it will be different now that he's leaving?
3: Well, you know, I've known Steve since I was 17 years old and I played for him for four years and I went away to, went away to grad school, but then I was his assistant for 11 years. Um, this is my eighth year working under him as as the head coach. So I've you know i've known him most of my life and he's really you know it 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 gets said a lot about him but i think it it reinforces just how true his inter- integrity and character those have been hallmarks here at st thomas and yeah he's won a lot of basketball games and he's led the athletic department but beyond that i think the way that he's always conducted himself and the expectations he's had for his players his colleagues etc those are the things that'll be you know, sorely missed, and we're really excited. Phil Esten, I think, is uh, an amazing hire to replace Coach Fritz. But it—I it, uh, mean, I—you know—I just have so many stories of you know funny ones, and um, you know some heartbreaking ones, and some uplifting ones where you know you just experience things with people in sports like that where. Um, it was fun to have him on the sidelines at the US Bank game the other day at River Falls uh, against them, and so that was that was different to walk out on the court with him where he's not coaching. He was more of a cheerleader. I mm-hmm. I heard less of him grumbling at me about running the wrong plays, and I just <laughs> I kept seeing him clap for the players, like, hey, it's okay, it's all right, you'll yeah. get the next one. I'm like, yeah. where was that when I was playing? I was never <laughs> I was never getting that pat on the back, but he's he is one of a kind, and I don't you know you don't see 52 years at the same institution very often, and I think. That speaks volumes certainly about him, but also about the university, that when you can attract such talented people and keep them for that long, that tells you something special is going on.
2: And and you brought up when I was at Apple Valley, I remember when I would go to games to watch, and Coach Fritz was there, and he was this icon. I mean, he's got this big frame and things, and you always knew when he was in the gym because he just has a presence. But what people don't understand is that presence – stands for those qualities that we're talking about, but there's a heart there. I mean, I know I can I, I can speak for John as well, is you knew that coach is always there for you. I I, I I I can't believe the amount of care and concern that he has given to this program and this community. I, I remember days where we would get on the bus at, you know, 8 in the morning, and then we'd come back at 8 at night, and I'm exhausted, and he's he's going out to watch the men's hockey team and the women's hockey team, and I'm like, how do you do it? But it's because he believed in everyone that was here, and, you know, I haven't gotten, and I know you have too, but you get the biggest hugs from him, and it, <laughs> but people don't see that side. Yeah. And we really are fortunate because through all the change and the adversity, he's always been the constant there for us to to really lead the way, to give us purpose, to understand our identity, and to continue to focus us back on what's important.
1: When you see guys like Steve Fritz stay here for you know 50 plus years, does that, and you've been here for 14 years, Coach, coach Sinan, and I think eight, uh, Coach Tower at least as the head coach, uh, you know, does that, does that make you want to stay here for the rest of your, your career, or could you see yourself moving on? Maybe let's say the, the WNBA or the NBA or some higher level comes knocking in, in a certain amount of years. Could you see yourself moving on, or is this a place that you kind of want to be?
2: This is a great place, and I think any time you want to find something that epitomizes what you're about, your core values, and what you want to do. I, I talk all the time, especially to recruits, that I'm so fortunate to get to do and be with the people that, you know, everything's in line. And that's the neat thing is that higher level, we talked before about product base, outcome base. It's really difficult to put the people first. And I think that's the neatest thing about here at St. Thomas is the people are first and the relationships. And like Coach was just talking about is the relationships and the experience you get to share in a season. Even though there's a beginning, there's an end, it's a finite time. It, it's how you share it together and how you grow together. And that's, I, I don't know, at the higher level. I, I think some programs can do it, but it's few and far between. And that's mm-hmm. the neat thing here about St. Thomas.
1: What do you coach? Well, I,
3: you know, I think there are a lot of ways to look at it, and certainly there's a lot of great places to coach. But as with Ruth, I mean, both of us played here. We mm-hmm. went to school here. And so the what St. Thomas represents to us not just is our ability to know, have an opportunity to lead people and hopefully help them grow and develop, but also the formative role St. Thomas had for each one of us when we were 18 to 22, you, you can't really replace that. And, you know, there's uh, Jay Wright at Villanova, who's been pursued by lots of NBA teams. And I remember mm-hmm. reading an article about him a couple of years ago, and the quote he used was, don't mess with happy. And he got that advice from Jill, Jim Valvano, and Jim Valvano was at Iona, mm-hmm. and he was a New York guy, and he left Iona for NC State, and they won the national title, and he's running all over the court, and we've all seen yeah. all those highlights. Yeah. But Jim Valvano told Jay Wright, hey, I was never happier than I was at Iona. Even though we won the national title at NC State, I was happier at Iona because I was around my family. I had everything I could have wanted. And so you know, you look at somebody like Jay Wright, who could certainly leave Villanova, and I think he's looking at, like, hey, if every day is about an 8.5 or a 9 on a scale of 1 to 10, am I willing to roll the dice and go get a $50 million contract in the NBA when I've already got more money and I don't have the money Jay Wright has, right? Yeah, so right, that, yeah. so if somebody offers me $2.5 <laughs> two million, dollars, you know, I may listen. <laughs> but, But the reality is I think Ruth and I both feel like this is a place where if you're professionally satisfied and you get a chance to help people, and we get to work with just outstanding student athletes, and they truly are here. That's not to say at other places they aren't, but we see the stuff they're doing in their courses, and then you go to alumni functions and you see the things that people are doing five, 10, 20 years after they graduate. You just don't get that everywhere, and that Mm -hmm. to me is what uh, I think really compels me to stay.
0: How have your playing careers at St. Thomas influenced your coaching styles here, if at all?
2: When I played, um, I was more of a, a defensive player. I, I had offensive stats, but I mean, I always saw myself uh, that kind of competition. That mm-hmm. uh, the interesting thing I always tell the girls is, I'm still in the like top ten for blocks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I remember we did that blind resume last. <laughs> five, year. Seven guard, uh, yeah. five seven guard. five yeah. seven So it just it just shows that you yeah. cram with your left hand. That's all that it shows. since I'm a lefty, but um, the neat thing about when I played is I had a coach, Tom Cosell and we didn't have um, play dates at that time. You could play as many games. We went to Bemidji. Why you'd want to go to Bemidji <laughs> is beyond me. And no offense, but I mean, it's cold in yeah. December. <laughs> yes. And we went to Mankato. We went all over the place. I think we played 40 some games. But in those games, we had opportunities to have band rides and, and connections and just what, what Coach was talking about, where we got to really just experience the people. And he was and he is a quality quality person and I really took that from my experience here at St. Thomas that my next step it's going to be about the people and it's going to be about the relationships and it's going to be how how we can develop collectively and together and so I think that's a big thing I I took away from my my playing years at St. Thomas here
3: well and I think you know I teach in the psychology department, and I love teaching, right? But there is a different feel in a classroom. You walk out, and there's, there's a lot of pain after a loss. There's a lot of joy after a win in a basketball game or any sport. And I think that is unique. You know, our student-athletes across 22 sports, what they experience with one another, that's what really stood out for me in my time at St. Thomas, that I look at a lot of my best friends in the world are still people who I played with You know, from 1991 to 1995, and we had lots of fun wins, and we had lots of painful losses, and, you know, the memories and the relationships are really the thing that stick with you. And so when I—we always talk with our players about that, that what we're trying to do is build a foundation that the things that they're learning, the ups and the downs, during their four years of playing for us, it's not going to be perfect. I mean, the world is hard. One of my favorite books, The Road Less Traveled, starts with the line, life is difficult, and then the next line says, once we accept that fact, it becomes markedly easier. And so getting our players to understand things are going to be tough and learning how to fight through it is the same thing you're going to end up doing with your kids, with your families, with your jobs, that life isn't perfect. And if they learn that with us through the ups and downs and know even when we make decisions they don't always agree with, because I remember as an 18-year-old, I had lots of answers. You know, we (laughs) always joke that we want players who have more questions than answers. But that's what stood out to me, that being coached by Coach Fritz and several other great assistant coaches during that time, I think – made a really powerful impression about how you can lead people um, and teach them values like unselfishness and perseverance.
1: Coach, Jen, your team has been shooting the ball uh, fabulously. We talked about it a little bit before with, with uh, Hannah Spaulding. You guys are shooting just about 51% from the field and 43% from downtown. What's your secret to shooting threes? How are you guys making so many?
2: Well, some of it is like what we talked about, is when you have a group that's willing to be unselfish and share the ball and find uh, the great shot, not just the good shot, mm-hmm. get teams in rotation, it, they become easier shots. They also, they get into the gym a lot. I mean, they're a very committed, dedicated group. And so, you know, even if we're not in practice, they're in the gym, they're, they're practicing, they're, they're earning their confidence for that. So when the opportunity presents itself, you know, they're excited about it.
0: Coach Tower, uh, in the last five games, in four of them, uh, your team has put up over 85 points, in two, almost at 100. Do you think this team has found its scoring stride now, and how do you keep improving that moving forward? I don't know. The other night we had 22 points in the first half against <laughs> yeah. Bethel,
3: so I'm still trying to figure that out. But, I I do. I mean, we're shooting a lot of three-point shots. We're not shooting it as well as Roos' team, and, and she does have. I watched them practice. I'm like, can all of them shoot threes? I mean, they really, they and they're in the gym a lot. Our three-point percentage, we're taking more than – we typically have, but we have a lot of, I think, really good shooters. Um, I think we're coming into our own as far as our percentages starting to increase because, really, we were shooting a lot early in the year. We were not – we were shooters. We weren't makers. And we always <laughs> talk about don't be a shooter, be a maker. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do – I think our team, um, you know, when you look at our strengths, we're not huge. Connor Bear is doing a really good job inside, and Elijah Hanna and Tommy Anderson are also complementing him in there. Um, but really we have a lot of guys at most times we can put four guys on the perimeter who can shoot the three. And, you know, again, you talk about how do you create advantages, whether it's somebody like Hannah inside, somebody like Connor inside, dribble penetration, overloading inside, whatever it is you do, you're trying to create an advantage. And then the time the players have put in the gym, they take that advantage. It's just in life, right? It's the same thing in life. Seize the moment that you're not going to have three seconds to make a play. You're going to have a quarter second and you got that advantage. You seize it. You're a great player. And that's, I think, what we're excited about is we have a lot of people who are hungry to do that.
1: Yeah, you guys are a little bit smaller inside, but Connor Barrett, ten blocks against River Falls the other night. Where, and then the other thing was Anders Nelson was the leading rebounder from that from that game with I think six or seven boards. Um, so so where did that come from down there? Yeah,
3: there were a lot of statistical anomalies. I mean, Connor had and Connor can really get up. He can yeah. jump. We don't have a lot of guys who can dunk on our team. Connor can get up. But he had a total of 10 blocks in his career. So compared to Ruth's numbers, how many block shots did you have in your career?
2: Well, I don't know how many. But it had to
3: be more than 10. That's (laughs) where Connor was. I couldn't believe it because I went through and I'm like, they had to do the stats wrong. So I went through the whole game and just counted his block shots. I'm like, nope, he had 10. Um, Anders is leading us in rebounding right now. So it wasn't just that game. For the season, he's leading us. And and I think part of that's a testament. We always talk defensively, rebounding, get the ball. You want the players who get the ball. And you don't have to be the tallest player on the court to go get the ball. And so I think his his knack for doing that and making good decisions, great decisions with it when he does, um, is really good. And Connor has been, he's not shooting 83%, but mm-hmm. on twos I think he's around 70%. And he really, around the basket, he's been a phenomenal finisher yeah. for us. Um, that it's been, it's been really fun to see him come into his own, even in the last month. That as a senior, uh, I know he was on your show, and – Connor's not the most vocal leader, but he has said more in the last three weeks to our team than he has in the three and a half years combined. And that, that as a coach, forget about wins and losses. Mm -hmm. Those are the things that get you excited because I know where Connor's headed in life. He's in a different, on a different trajectory right now than he was even two months ago because of how assertive he is and because of what standards he's holding himself to, how he's playing defensively, which doesn't get talked about, Mm -hmm. but I thought he's had four of his best defensive games of his career in the last five games. And so um, we're very excited about
1: that. Yeah, his finishing at the hoop has been incredible. I mean, he's making tough shots. He's falling away and shooting over defenders, and it's he's getting the roll right now. It's, yeah. it, they're all dropping. Uh, but that
0: was the lead photo for our U.S. Bank story was when he was just falling back. I think it was yeah. on, on a, a deep two or something like that. Yeah. It was a good shot. He had spun. several,
1: like, we spun in the lane and just right around the baseline, like no angle at the basket, a pretty tough shot. He was. They're all falling for him. It's it fun to watch. Uh, only seven games in here, but when you look, forward to the playoffs and the Mayak playoffs what each of you guys can touch on this but what's one what's the biggest area you guys need to improve on would you say
2: for our group is we've just got to continue to improve and develop offensively and defensively we're really focusing on our defense right now so every after every game we're bringing up our defensive stats I mean we we know you know You know, offense sells tickets and and defense wins championships. And so one of the areas that we've really focused on is how can we make life more difficult for our opponents? You know, I really felt last year that was an area that we we were subpar. You know, this this year we're really focusing how can we – make sure that we're not fouling as much, we're, we're contesting shots, mm-hmm. we're making sure that you know, they're not getting open looks, and, and, and then we're rebounding the basketball and limiting second-chance points. And so that's an area that I hope you'll be able to see the growth and the development. Um, we've had two games where we haven't fouled a lot, and we've held them to single um, two-point field goals. Well, when we get into a rhythm and a, a game where we don't fall a lot and there's an open tempo and there's less whistles, that's when we create separation. So we're, we're continuing to work on that and, and try to make sure that that becomes one of our habits right now. In, in December, mm-hmm. you're kind of in habit-forming mode, and, and we're really working on that.
3: I think You know, with our team... Um one of the things we've talked a lot about is the tempo we want to play at, mm-hmm. but I think balancing that tempo with being efficient and being intelligent, right? And it's easy to run up and down the floor. It's not so easy to run up and down the floor and take care of the ball. So our turnover numbers, the first two games, I think we had 38 turnovers, which is just disgusting and um, made us. I mean, it really it was it's just unheard of. And I think the last five games we've had 47, so mm-hmm. we're back down in that range where we'd like to have under 10 a game. And that doesn't mean we want to play conservatively, but it. We want to give the players as much freedom as we can to play mm-hmm. as fast as we can, provided they get shots off. And and so I think that that leads into the other big issue is how do you get people to buy into their roles? Because at this time of the year, Ruth's talking about forming habits, and that's a huge part of it. But it's also how do you, at this point in the year, you, you want to have things settling a little bit where people start to see here's how the pieces fit. And as coaches, that's part of our job, but it's also part of our job to – To get players that maybe Brady thought he was going to come into this year and he was going to shoot 13 threes a game, and he's saying, "Well, that's not my role." And and I think our guys are doing a really good job of buying into that. But when you play a lot of players, it's constantly getting them to trust that. Hey, no different than a baseball pitcher or a softball pitcher. One game you might play 25 minutes, and the next game you may play eight, and it might have nothing to do with what you did, and everything to do with what we think the team needs. And the best teams, I think, are the ones that have that versatility. And they've also got players who buy into that. And so, you know, I think taking care of the ball is a big thing. Rebounding for us is important because we're not huge, and our rebounding numbers are not um, are not great right now. And then, you know, the other part is keeping people off the foul line. Like right now our statistics, we're shooting it pretty well. We're not rebounding well. We're putting teams on the foul line too much, mm-hmm. and we're winning the turnover battle, and that's been huge for us because we're forcing a lot and we aren't, we aren't committing very many. So. Trying to get better in all those areas. It sounds it sounds cliche, but that's yeah. You know, that's the way coaches look mm-hmm. at it. Is there's not just one thing. It's the whole the whole picture.
2: It, it, it's nice because we get to watch each other play a lot on Saturdays, and so the girls get tired of me. I, I love your decision-making with the basketball. You know, they, they turn down tough plays. They turn down tough passes. And, and because of that, you're, you're always in the lead in, na- in the nation in turnover margin because they just make good decisions. And that's what this game is all about. It's about perception and decision-making. Mm-hmm. And you do a great job with it. So the girls are always like, okay, yeah, we've heard about the men. We've heard about the men <laughs> with that. But, you know, the men's team does such a nice job with ball control. I wish we could do it just as well.
3: I appreciate the compliment. You can imagine our guys when we talk about Hannah, and I'm like, I don't even need 83%. How about 78, (laughs) 79? I'd be happy with something just close. Because it it really is. You do learn a lot. I don't care what level of basketball, whether I'm I'm coaching my eighth grade son's team, watching high school games, watching our women play, watching the NBA. Like you learn. and, And Hannah, I don't know if I've ever seen anyone at any level do that better. Use her body to what Ruth's saying, just catch and score. And it's hard to get that position and it's hard to finish that effectively or everyone would do it. But it's also not complicated. right? And that's Mm -hmm. so much a metaphor for life is we're not asking people to do 50 complicated things at once. We're asking them to do about two or three things that actually, if you chain them together, aren't overly complicated, but they're really hard. It's hard work to do that work early. It's hard work mentally to anticipate where's my defender going to be where's the ball going to go how do i seal how do i catch how do we keep it high and you do all those things and you watch hannah and she goes 10 for 11 and you're like hmm what did she do she shot a bunch of layups but then you're like yeah well why doesn't everybody shoot a bunch of layups well because they don't do that work early so it is really fun to to learn from one another and um and i think more than anything you talk about excellence right we want people aspiring for excellence and if you can learn
1: from other people who are performing at those levels um all the better yeah, it's, uh, I'm heading away next semester, so I won't be able to see uh, the end of the season, at least in person. I'll be watching on the live stream. But it's, it's sad to leave at such a at time when Tommy basketball is just on the up and up. You guys are ranked third in the country, Coach Sin, and Coach Tower, you guys seem to get, be getting better every single game. So uh, it's sad to leave at this time, but I hope mm-hmm. I can, uh, can watch some national championships unfold via the, the, the live stream
0: we will fly you back out for national play yeah, playoff time. Sure. <laughs>
1: Love Where that. are you headed, Brady? What do you Head to Australia, Sydney for uh, second semester. Nice. Go. Oh, fun. Yeah, study down there. See how it goes. Yeah. We have one of our alums, Marcus Alapate, who's playing pro ball over there. Really? Mm-hmm. 2015
3: grad. He was just named the captain of the Tongan national team actually. Oh. So he's he's had a pretty special four-year run playing in New Zealand and wow. Australia, yeah. Let's go catch a
1: game. Yeah, you should. It'd be really cool. See if
2: he's still doing the flip. Yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> What's that?
2: Oh, his pregame warm-up. Go ahead, Danny. Yeah, he would
3: on. do a backflip so the team would get in their huddle. And we always had a guy yeah. in the center who would huddle him. Well, yep. his thing was he would do a backflip before the game okay. and everybody would go yep. nuts. So, yeah, we yeah. haven't had nice. we haven't allowed anybody else to try that since <laughs> he left, and I don't think we will. Uh, Anders is pretty good. He's
1: not doing any backflips. Yeah, no, Connor Bear it. is not doing any backflips. <laughs> keep those guys healthy.
0: Do we have the video up? Uh, no, you I don't. So uh, you guys were on uh, last season. We had a, a producer question of sorts uh, last season. It was uh, Michael James. Uh, no, Michael Jordan or LeBron James. Uh, we've been doing a similar thing this semester. Usually our producer Althea will ask. Uh, but so in this one, this is the 2014 divisional uh, NFC game between the Dallas Cowboys and the Green Bay Packers. Uh, we like to ask on this play, did Des Bryant catch this ball?
1: To the end zone.
0: This was a a really controversial call um, back in 2014. We'll get a better angle at it here in just a second. We'll cut out all this dead space in post. (laughs)
2: Okay. (laughs) So
1: he's got it. And then the ground pops it up. What do you think? Well,
3: I don't know football rules, so mm-hmm. I, I'm yet. I've heard your show, and I didn't realize you, I was. I was actually amazed. I'm like, how do all these people remember this Dez Bryant <laughs> catch? And you're just asking them. So I hate to give away a secret, but I'm like, I feel better because I knew you were going to ask us this. And I'm like, I have no idea yeah. about this Dez Bryant play, but I'm going to go no catch. I think you got okay. you got to hold the ball and roll with it, and I, but I don't know the rules, so I'm the wrong guy to ask. But I'm going to say no catch.
2: Oh, I'm I'm right with you, and in 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 my situation, I would say catch because. What a skilled play that he created. Mm-hmm. You know, and I always, you know, with our officials, and this is the thing that gets me about officials, please just reward what we're trying to teach, reward skilled yep. ba- basketball. Don't reward non-skilled basketball. So I think it's a great skilled catch that he should be catch.
1: Yeah, we had the rule growing up in my neighborhood. We called it the cool play rule. Did you make a really cool (laughs) play? And it was like questionable. Like, no, cool play rule. That was cool play. That's a great rule. So what what, what did they call?
0: Uh, It was initially ruled a catch, but then upon review it was overturned. So no catch um, because he didn't maintain possession of the football or make a football move. Um, So uh, it was – football kind of,
2: move being in, rolled to the ground
0: uh any sort of action trying to turn up field or advance down the field uh so in that case the little dive he made uh the the cowboys were arguing that was the football move that he made where he lunged forward for the end zone it set off a, kind of a, a national debate on what is a catch really and it's yeah. been overly complicated um, but yeah, so we've asked every single person who's come on um so tower you said no and you said yes, correct. Mm-hmm. So that brings our final season stats to twelve and two. Twelve people said yes; it was a catch. Two people said no. Uh, the only other person uh, who disagreed it was Matt Mitchell, Matt Mitchell, defensive end uh, for uh, Saint Rita guy, right from, yeah. from yeah. Chicago. Yeah, he he's probably, probably a Bears boy. fan. Yeah. yeah, he is. But we had everybody. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Coach Caruso. We had um, uh, Dave Lee, the WCCO sure. yeah. play-by-play guy. Everyone, uh, like Nick Wald or uh, Fritz Waldvogel, yeah. a former wide receiver, they all said, yes, catch. Um, I like c- the cool play rule. I like, yeah. I like that. No, that, well, that was
1: for everything. I'd be ping pong or whatever, you know, playing football in the front yard. You didn't quite know.
3: Cool play rule. Could you imagine in the NFL if yeah. they just had that? The ref, <laughs> they challenge, and he comes back, and he's like, after further review, cool play rule. Isn't <laughs> we could not tell, but it was a sweet play. It's going to count. <laughs> we I, want
2: it for highlights. Yeah. <laughs>
3: I do think it's interesting, all the different, you know, the rules, and there are rule changes every year in our game, and, you know, I don't have all the answers, but the one thing I always come back to is don't make it more complicated. Like, officials already have a really tough job, so any rule that makes it more complicated to assess, you know, is it a block or a charge? Is it a catch or no catch? Keep the game as simple as possible and let the players decide it on the court. And you know that doesn't always happen. But I think the yeah. simpler we keep the rules, the better. Yeah. The mm-hmm. NFL is struggling with that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and, that the time. and that was such a big play too, because it was a, a playoff game, NFC divisional round. That all pretty much ended the Cowboys' chance at, at a comeback against the Packers. And so a lot of people were upset about that. So I think, especially Noah as a Cowboys fan, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that hurt. I, I remember that day very vividly. Um, but yeah, so I think. Definitely keep
2: Minnesota. We haven't gotten any of
0: those. But 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 keeping it simple, I think, uh, just let them play.
1: Keep it keep it nice and simple. Yep. Well, guys, thanks for coming on. We'll get you guys out of here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Great job.
0: And those were basketball coaches John Tower and Ruth Sinn. Brady, I don't think we could find two better interviews to end the semester with.
1: No, yeah, I, I completely agree. We've been, we, we talked about it a couple weeks ago about when we were going to have them on, um, and I wanted to just save them for, the, for my last guest and for our last show together. Uh, those two are great. I mean, you come in with five or six questions prepared because that's all you need for them because you can just have a conversation uh, with Coach Tower and Coach Sid and they, they give some good, very good answers. Uh, good insight onto the team and, and kind of their coaching philosophies, so great guests to end on.
0: Yeah. It's always fun to have two people in who know each other really well. Like mm-hmm. earlier this season when we had Coach K yeah. and Matt Mitchell come in, they were riffing off each other. Right. And they already had that rapport established, so it makes things a little more comfortable, uh, and it makes it uh, easier for us to then talk to them. And, you know, Coach Tower and Coach Sin have been working together for,
1: for years now, so yeah. they're always fun to uh, work with, interview, and be around. Yeah, two of my favorites, and it'll be so exciting to watch what they can do in the last few months of the season here and see how far they can go. I mean, the, uh, the sky's the limit at this point for these two teams.
0: Yeah, only seven games in, but these two teams are looking really, really good. Yeah, very promising for, for for the playoffs and playoff hopes, and we'll see what happens. Yeah. So we got a lot to talk about here in segment three. First off, Althea Larson is a sports goddess, 6-0 and in sports betting now <laughs> here on the show. Yep. Yeah. That's impressive, Althea. Perfect like, record.
1: Maybe I was just meant to come on and produce this show. I mean.
0: Your entire academic and journalistic <laughs> career has led you to this <laughs> moment.
1: <laughs> to this point in How's my it, life.
0: How does it feel to, to know that you're at the pinnacle now and that it's most likely all
1: downhill from here? You know, I got I to gotta watch out for doorways because my head's gotten a little big. <laughs> 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 my boys from Wisconsin let me down, though. Uh, Honestly, though, uh, water. I
0: mean, Mary Harden Baylor and Mountain Union have made it to the finals or to, to, the, to the semifinal round in every single year since 2015, when Saint right. Thomas and uh, Mount Union played in the final. So it was a safe. That was kind of a, a cheap move for me to call it first. Is it like Mary harden Baylor was the safe bet to go with. That's right. I gave it to you, and I, it was a close game. Um, well, as close as a 31-14 yeah. game can be. Um, yeah. But yeah. So moving into the finals once again, it's it's Mount Union, Mary harden Baylor. I don't know, kind of boring. Mm-hmm. Um, it's usually a low-scoring defensive slugfest. I think they average something like you know just over ten points uh, in the last three times they've met. Um, if you're into defense, which sometimes I am, it's it's a fun <laughs> game to watch, and they're both r- two really really good teams. Um, but I mean, you know, back in 2015 when Mountain Union and St. Thomas met in the finals, it was 49-35, yeah. pretty close until the end when Mountain Union got a garbage time touchdown to push it up to a two-score lead. Um, but, yeah, I think ultimately it's, you know, uh, as cliche as it sounds, Battle in the Trenches, uh, Defensive slugfest will win the day for the uh, Stag Bowl.
1: Yeah, I think Mary Hart and Baylor take it in their home state the first time uh, it, the Stag Bowl will be played down there. Um, I don't know how close it is to their school. Uh, it's like in Shedona, Sh- something with an S. In Shenandoah? Shenandoah, Texas, I think. Something I think like that's that. where it is. Uh Look at us Midwesterners knowing <laughs> geography. So I don't know how well their fans travel, but I know at home they got a pretty rowdy uh, fan base that, that gives them an edge there. Um, not often that you talk about that maybe in Tommy Johnny here, but not often does the crowd play that big of a role in D3 football, but it does in Texas. Mm-hmm.
0: And speaking of rowdy crowd, just last week an announcement was made by the almost or the soon-to-be-completed Allianz Field that they will be hosting Tommy Johnny football next season. That's going to be fun. Uh, you know, Two years ago when they played at Target Field, I didn't think they'd be able to top that. Uh, and Allianz Field, will most, it's uh, about 20,000 mm-hmm. seats smaller than Target Field. So instead of 37,000, they can hold upward of just under 19,500. But the, uh, the fans will be closer to the field. It'll be a much louder atmosphere because 85% of all of the fans in the stadium are covered by a roof. Uh, So it's technically open air, so you got it like open right over the field, but then all the fan section is covered by a roof. So that will just kind of reflect the noise down in there. That will be, I think, an even more
1: raucous atmosphere than Target Field was two years ago. From a noise standpoint, I think absolutely. Um, I think it'll be a better game, like you said, because you're going to be a lot closer. I mean, the problem with Target Field is you had some people sitting so far away. Uh, Great atmosphere there, but I think the fans are going to play a lot bigger role and we'll have a little more of a home field advantage. We didn't really have that uh, at Target Field. But yeah, it's gonna be a really exciting game. It, it kind of reminds me of the new field kind of reminds me of Seattle a little bit uh, with the way the roof kind of comes mm-hmm. halfway over, um, halfway over the field. But super exciting for the St. Thomas team. An interesting thing to note: I'll never have seen a home Tommy johnny game because my sophomore year it was at Target Field. Now, obviously, my senior year it'll be at at Allina Field or what? Is, what is Alaina? Keep calling it a line. Yeah. I think it's like a line of Health or something. A
0: line of Health, yeah. Uh, but no, it's Alliance It's like a, a a bank or something. Yeah. Uh, but, no, I, I was talking to, to Coach Caruso uh, and the chief revenue officer of the uh, uh, Minnesota United uh, Football Club uh, at the press conference announcing it. And, of course, Caruso was like, oh, you know, it's just another game. We're excited to play it here, uh, excited to get the rivalry out there. But at mm-hmm. the end of the day, I mean, it's 11 on 11, which he's got a point. I mean, you know, it f- doesn't matter where you're playing it. Rules are still the same. Um and so I asked him, you know, how does this uh, you know, improve and enhance the legacy of, of the game? And he's like, well, I mean, I don't know if it really does because, I mean, it's just it's two great football teams. We've already got a great legacy. Um, and so then I went over and I asked the, the chief revenue officer, I was like, so how do you think that this enhances the, the legacy? And he came at it from a, a fan perspective and a fan understanding. It's like, we want the fan experience to be the greatest that Tommy Johnny has ever seen. We want... Uh, everybody to to enjoy this area because this is one of the first big events that Allianz Field will be holding, and they want to have yep. this big, you know, the whole shebang um, for everybody coming in. They want to show that this can be a good place to play not only European football but American football as well. So I will be graduated by then, but I am w- going to do my darnest to get back because I want to see what they've got in store because it sounds like it's going to be a great game. Yeah, the f-
1: it's about ninety-five percent complete. You said.
0: Yeah, about ninety five percent. It's okay. scheduled to be complete. I think in like February,
1: or March of twenty nineteen. Yeah, it's pretty cool driving by. They got some uh, parking lot space. Hopefully, they get the tailgates, or they let people tailgate there before the game. That would be awesome.
0: Yeah, the uh, the chief revenue officer was saying. Uh, I don't know if this will be for all events or for just for Tommy Johnny, but they're trying. They're going to have a main plaza out in front of the stadium. They're trying to have some sort of uh, viewing area, party tailgating area for Tommy Johnny. Sweet. So even though they only have nineteen thousand four hundred people in yeah. the stadium. They like can have upward, you know, maybe another thousand or two outside
1: watching and grilling up some food or whatnot. Ah, that gets me going right yeah, now. Yeah, that, that's gonna That's going to be so fun.
0: And that'll be a hard thing. To, like, do you want to be inside or do you want to be outside? All right. The it, party might be outside. <laughs> exactly. Who knows? Maybe we can get both. Uh, so we've got uh, one more thing we want to talk about. Uh, well, I guess two, actually. So before we get to uh, Brady's farewell, um, we're at the end of the semester. we got finals week going on. So... Uh, that's, why this ep- that's why this episode isn't more special than it is. Like, I usually yeah. go all out for season finales or big episodes uh, whenever I've been hosting something. Uh, but it's finals week. We're all tired. We're all dead. So this is why it's only uh, barely above the, the standard we do. <laughs> We're above, but only slightly. Um, but we would be remiss to, to not acknowledge that we've had a great semester. Uh, and I haven't, didn't give you any time to plan on this, Brady. But looking back, what do you, what, what's been your best KTBR memory hmm. from this semester? I liked Coach
1: K's interview with with Matt Mitchell that we mm-hmm. did. I thought that was I, Coach K is awesome. Um, and he's got a great podcast voice too. He does. He sounded. He's he got to get his own podcast talking about some defensive schemes. That was probably my favorite episode. Um, but we had some good moments. Uh, all the betting throughout the semester, talking talking Tommy Johnny football and uh, ranting about the playoff system. <laughs> oh,
0: that was probably my most well rehearsed, uh, not well rehearsed, but a uh, well researched. Yeah. Uh, moment on the show. I was, still am angry about that. Althea, what about you?
1: My favorite memory from the yeah. podcast? Ooh. I got to say, I think the the whole Thanksgiving bet that we made with Brady on whether he could gain five pounds in one day or not. And
0: he did. 5.4 pounds. That was disturbingly was, impressive. Yeah. Thank you. As I said on that episode, the single greatest <laughs> achievement of athletic prowess I have ever seen
1: (laughs) yeah I got quite the stomach I guess uh fit five pounds of food and that might be my my greatest achievement that'll be put it on the resume save that for an interview Uh, what's your greatest achievement (laughs) (laughs) one meal um thanks guys for coming along it's been fun yeah Uh, I hope we built a little bit of a fan base and you guys will keep it going next semester I look forward to watching I'm definitely going to call in um, you'll be getting some voicemails. It'll be about three AM here, but you'll be getting some voicemails after I watch the uh, the basketball team play. Give you guys some hot takes. I hope you get big into like rugby or something. <laughs> yeah, <get> rugby. <laughs> <laughs> Tell Boy. us all about uh, an obscure Australian sport. I may call in an Australian accent. I'm gonna try to pick one up down there. Okay. Uh, so I may be calling in with that, but should be good.
0: So in. in- preparation for for this episode I was trying to find you like a little gift or something but everything Australia based is super expensive cuz like it's one of like a big tourist destination mm-hmm. um yeah. but I did do some research and so as as a keep the ball rolling farewell gift to you uh I have a guide on how to survive a kangaroo fight oh let's go okay planning on getting one of those <laughs> so first off it is technically illegal to hurt a kangaroo cuz they are a protected species mm. uh but if you're doing it in self defense it's still frowned upon But everybody will look the other way because, like, you know what? It's survival. Right. So just know that you can't go out and, like, pick a fight with a kangaroo. You have to wait for a kangaroo to come to you. Okay. Another common misconception is that kangaroos like to punch, I think, from, you know, pop culture, boxing kangaroos. Kangaroo Jack. Yeah, yeah. Um, Great great movie. Their preferred (laughs) method of attack. Uh, I mean, they've got these big, powerful legs. So, like, they'll, stand, they'll kind of lean back on their tail and kick. Oh, wow. And so not only do they have the powerful legs, but they've also got sharp nails as well, so they can like, you know, claw into you and everything. It's actually pretty horrifying. <laughs> don't, don't Google that. that uh, those will be with me for a while, those images. Um, but yes, so there was a video that went viral uh, a while ago about a man punching a kangaroo in the face um, yep. to, to rescue his dog. That's actually a really, really dumb idea because not only do you then anger the kangaroo, in in that video, the kangaroo is just kind of stunned and walked away. Um, But so, not only do you anger the kangaroo if you punch it, uh, you're leaving your midsection completely open uh, to Mm. uh, a kick. Yeah. So, (laughs) in all the places I could find, uh, the best way to survive a kangaroo attack, no joke, curl up in a ball and wait for help to come. Oh. I was hoping you guys were like hop on its back. No, actually, um, kickboxing is probably the the preferred way to fight it, uh, <laughs> using your legs. <laughs> and you, so,
1: so if you, I get in a fight with a kangaroo, <laughs> I'm not even thinking about that. <laughs> I'm
0: just so, so like keeping your arms okay, in, protecting yep. your midsection, yep. and going for kicks okay. lower, trying to get it off balance. That that'll um. be the best way uh, to, to fight a kangaroo. <laughs> so hopefully you won't have to use that at all. But just know, protect the midsection uh stay away from those
1: feet. That's good to know. Uh if I get in a fight with a kangaroo now I know how to handle it and I'll yeah. call you right after. Thank I'm you. I
0: hope I'm the first call. <laughs> yeah. That, well, yeah that you make if, if you attack if you are attacked by
1: a kangaroo or if you attack a kangaroo? Absolutely. I, I tried to look up uh, a little farewell address. I was going to like copy like Washington's farewell address. I couldn't even find uh copies. So I got nothing. I got no speech or anything. Oh, come on. Come on. Gotta <laughs>
0: have can't live a second. I, I did all this research for you. I gave you the survival guide to fighting a kangaroo. Well, you can't just leave here with nothing.
1: Okay. here's This has nothing to do with the show, but I am going to keep podcasting from Australia. I'm, I plan to get some equipment uh, this Christmas and bring it down there and podcast. One of my uh, segment ideas, this will be my treat to you. I, this is, <laughs> I don't even know. Uh, I want to go on the beach, and they uh, they have like uh, abbreviations for everything. Apparently, if you call it a university in Sydney, you're like frowned upon. It's a uni. Uh, okay. So they abbreviate just about everything. So we're going to get uh, – I'm going to teach you guys the Australian language.
0: Okay. Actually, I've got an uncle who's Australian. My aunt, really? aunt married him probably seven or eight years ago. So I've, I've got – a, a Not a decent understanding, I wouldn't say. Bit of a background. But yeah, but like every once in a while, you know, we'd be be playing pool in my grandma's basement and we'd just be talking about uh, good old down under.
1: Apparently, yeah. Apparently they love the abbreviations down there. Yep, uh, yep. And shortening words and that kind of stuff. So let's see if I can teach you guys a new language.
0: So I give him a survival guide, life tips. (laughs) And he gives us the... uh, not only the a notion segment, that, he's, that he's going
1: he's a self promo of his so, new podcast yeah. <laughs> a segment for
0: us. He's stealing our viewers. He's launching a rival podcast. <laughs> yep, so That's my gift to you guys. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh,
0: goodness. Well, in all seriousness, Brady, it's been heck of a ride. Uh, we'll be announcing the new host, uh, sometime in the new season. Um, well for season one or episode one of season three, uh, we'll be making that decision within the next month or so. Um, but, yeah, so that's all we've got for you right today on Keep Ball Rolling, unless either of you have anything else. I'm good.
1: I got nothing out for you. I'm good. Cool. It was a blast. I'll yeah. see you next semester. Yeah. Guys, I'm looking forward to seeing where this goes. It's been fun. We're out.